But if you have your Bibles, we're, we're, we are, uh, this is week two of our 16-week journey through the Gospel of Mark. Our goal and our, our, our desire is to rediscover the heart of Jesus by going to the earliest document that we have available to us, which is the Gospel of Mark, to show us the heart of Jesus, his teachings, his way, his truth, because it's possible sometimes to drift away from him, even though we could be in church, but we can be away from his heart. Can you say amen? And so I hope that this series can really reconnect us to his heart, rediscover who Jesus truly is, because I feel like there's been a lot of things that's been put in, in the way of Jesus that's gotten in the way of, of his gospel and his will for us. And part of following Jesus, it's to be in step with him, to be on mission with him. And so tomorrow we have what we call our Join the Mission classes that uh, it's so critical that you join the mission because the whole purpose of church was never meant for us to go to church. We're meant to be the church, right? We just happen to be in a building that houses the people of God, which are the church. The church is the people who have said to Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. I'm here to live my life for your glory and honor, and I'm here to serve you. So join the mission classes is when you take your next step in actually serving and not just attending. Right? We all know that there's a difference between attending and actually joining. Um, home ownership is interesting because I can't go to your house and be like, hey, this is my house. That would be weird. But it's the same thing with church. Church ownership is not just, hey, I came. No, it's like, but what shows that you actually are part of the church? Like, do you have ownership? Right? Do, you, do you say, that's my church because I serve there, I give there, I give my life to what Jesus gave his life to. He said, I came to build my church and the gates of hell when I prevail against it. So joining a mission is taking that real step to say, I don't just go to church, I am the church of Jesus Christ. And it's, and it's evident in how I spend my time, my talent, and my treasure. Can you say amen? So if you haven't joined the mission yet, I highly recommend you take the classes tomorrow because at some point, you either going to join the mission or you're going to be in the way of the mission. And that's what happens in church, believe me. Right? People come to church, they get excited about it, but then the honeymoon season fades. And now instead of being on mission, you start to get, be critical of the mission. Because you be, it became about you, it didn't become about the bigger mission that Jesus has for all of us. Can you say amen? Come on, I'm, 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 I'm telling the truth. And if you are part of the mission, you are on a team, make some noise because I, I'm thankful for you. So we are in Mark chapter 2. This is week 2 of, of 16 weeks. Hello. July 18th will be the end of this journey, <laughs> if you're wondering. <laughs> Mark chapter 2, and I love this passage. Uh, every time you, you read the Gospels, if you go to it with, with a desire to learn, there's always something new. To learn. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, which by the way, Capernaum was the village that he spent most of his time in, he would go out, preach in different towns and villages, but he would always come back to Capernaum. This was kind of like the headquarters for Jesus. Several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. I love that. Wherever Jesus is, there's a lot of people. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat 
right down in, a, in front of Jesus. That would have been awesome to see. What if someone did that here? That would take way more work, though, because this is concrete wall. This is not like flat roof in the Middle East where it was just clay, dry clay you can just, like, poke through. <laughs> so this would be a lot of work. That would be a serious undertaking of faith. Anyways, then they lowered the man on, a mat, on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith. I love that. If you can underline that. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law, the haters, who were sitting there, thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, which is very, very interesting. They didn't say it out loud. Hello. That would preach. They didn't say it out loud. He knew what they were thinking. <laughs> that will mess you up. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easy to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, which is the title that Jesus gives himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, said, good day. And he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Can you say amen? <laughs> Lost my cap. A um, couple of open observations. Number one, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this house actually belonged to Jesus, that this is where he would, he would spend majority of his day, and there's this, there's this play on, on words here that when Jesus first sees this paralyzed man, he says, your sins are forgiven, meaning like, man, you just messed up my roof, I forgive you. Because <laughs> roofs are not cheap. <laughs> Any homeowners in a house, like, <laughs> roofs are not cheap, right? But we know it's deeper than that. But that's the first observation. The second observation, the obvious observation is, is that can we take a moment to appreciate the fact that this paralyzed man had amazing friends. Like, seriously though. Like, that's amazing that you have four friends who say, hey, we're getting you to Jesus. And we're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. Right? Isn't that amazing? Like, I pray we all have friends like that. I pray we have friends that will do whatever it takes to get us to where we need to get. Right? But it's not enough to have those kinds of friends. I think we've got to ask the question, am I that kind of friend? Because everybody wants that kind of friendship. But you've got to ask the question, am I that kind of friend? Right? Because everybody's waiting for someone to be something for them. But at some point we've got to ask the question, am I that person for somebody? Right? Because it has to be both ways. It can't just be that I'm always waiting to receive, but I never give. Right? Isn't it amazing? Some people are always waiting to receive, but they never give. Right? Some people are like, no one reached out to me. Well, who did you reach out to? 
No one said hi to me. Well, who did you say hi to? No one helped me. Well, who did you help? It's got to go both ways. Right? A lot of times you hear people talk, it's just one way. One way. What about me? What about me? Come on, call a ambulance. And I was thinking about this, that it's amazing how in the world, our BC days, I think we all had our BC days, right, before Christ, that we had friends that would go to great lengths to make us do certain things. Isn't it true? When you were in the world, like, remember, we're in church, but we have an honest moment. You, you reach a certain age, your friends are like, man, we're going to make sure you get drunk tonight. <laughs> I know we're in church, but, but can we be honest for a second? And your friends are like, man, tonight is the night. We got you. They'll even pay for you. We're going to make sure you get hammered tonight. Some of your friends go to great extreme to make sure you get hooked up. Man, I'm hooking you up. And they're adamant about it. Even people that you're like, I don't even like her. No, I'm hooking you up. <laughs> right? And then, and then I wonder, what the heck happened to us once we got to Jesus? How come we lost the passion to bring people to the right things? It's almost like in the world, we had all this passion for the wrong things. And then we get to church, we become churchified. And we become docile, we become boring, we become like humdrum about things. Like, eh, you know, be nice if you came to church. But you didn't feel that way when it was about clubbing. It was like adamant, we're going. But now all of a sudden it's church, it's like, you know. Can you imagine if these friends had that kind of lethargic faith? Because they, 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 they hit a, a moment where it was like, man, how are we going to do this? They could have easily done what most people do. Well, we tried. It would have been nice. Bro, we tried. We're going to have to carry you back home. Right? It's, it's, it's the difference, I think, between a breakthrough and an almost breakthrough. Because I think a lot of times we, we, we confuse faith with with being lethargic, right? Because here it's clear that faith requires that we break down some obstacles, right? That, that honestly, if you're paying attention in your relationship with Jesus, it's almost like Jesus himself would put obstacles in front of you to see how you're going to react to the obstacle, right? Like it's the person who says, God, it would be really nice if you gave me a job, but I'm in my basement, in my underwears, <laughs> playing Call of Duty. <laughs> but Lord, perchance, if you could find a way around this obstacle. And the Lord's like, there are no obstacles. You haven't even tried yet. Lord, it would be really nice if I can grow closer to you. But you never even opened the Bible. It's, it's collecting dust. Your Bible is saying, please open me. <laughs> I'm dying over here. Right? Or, Lord, it would be really nice if I, if I could find the right person that I could marry. 
and everything will be happily ever after. And the Lord's like, but you haven't even fixed your credit score. Man, these things that hits me. It's like, it's like I tell young people all the time, like, why should God trust you with one of his daughters? Are you trustworthy? Right? Why should God trust you with this job? Are you trustworthy? Because the moment you see an obstacle, you're going the other way. Right? They had this determination, which I believe faith requires a stubborn determination to see the will of God. Because they could have easily said, man, look, it's packed, man. Like, there's no way. But they had this determination. Oh, no, no, we, we, we made it this far. We're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. And if you pay attention, Jesus was moved by their faith. It's your faith that moves Jesus. And I will tell you this, today all over this country, people will go to church, but some people will get healed, some people will leave the same exact way because some people tapped into faith and some people just went and wishfully thought something could happen. Like the worst prayers you can ever pray is God, if perhaps, perchance. Because it's almost like God's like, are you, do you really want this or are you just, just saying this? Right? So faith requires action. The Bible says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Right? They were like, man, we're not going to let this obstacle get in the way of the blessing that is coming. So I love that about these friends. And we all need friends that refuse to leave us in our dysfunction. I tell the young people all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If your friends are not pointing you to Jesus, they're pointing you away from Jesus. Like, that's the truth. Like, let's be real. A lot of you guys will come to church, you're excited about what Jesus is doing, and you go to friends who have nothing to do with Jesus, and they throw water on your fire. And we're supposed to reach the world, but we need to be having a strong inner circle of people who already outreached. There's a difference. Right? And so Jesus is moved by their faith. And you got to ask the question, how many of you have friends and loved ones who don't know Jesus, but they need someone to help them dig through some roofs? Because the roof is the obstacles. We all have them. Like, if you don't have any obstacles, you're not living. You just settled. Like, if there's no obstacles to the things you want to see, then trust me, your faith is too small. Because faith works when you work it, and faith grows in obstacles. Now these guys have a story to tell forever, and we get to tell their story. Because <laughs> think about it. If they would have just gotten there and saw the crowd and went away, this story would have never made it to the Bible. It would have been just another story of people who said, I almost. You know how many people live like that? I almost. Or the worst is, what if? What if I had? Are you with me? And so they, they do the work to get 
to Jesus because they, they, they believe so much that Jesus can heal their friend that they lowered him down into this church service that Jesus is having in his house. And they lowered him expecting healing, but Jesus always does something that we don't see coming. Jesus says, wow, your sins are forgiven. Now, about, I don't know about you, but when you first read that, that sounds very anticlimactic. It's like, wow, wait, we did all of that? We want to see him heal. What are you talking about? His sins are forgiven. Like, that sounds like, oh, my God, that's a letdown. Like, I mean, we did all of that. Adrenaline is pumping. We're excited. We lowered him down. We made a way. Like, we broke your roof. And you're talking about your sins are forgiven. Sounds very anticlimactic. Like, this is not what we came for. Like, you ever pray for something and you got the wrong answer? That's not what we prayed for. Sins are forgiven. All that work for that. But could it be that Jesus knows something we don't know? Maybe the joke's on us. Maybe he knows things about us that we don't fully understand. Maybe Jesus knows that our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. Because perhaps our greatest paralysis is spiritual, not physical. My friends, Jesus makes a strong point here. That your greatest paralysis in life is spiritual. So understand this, the love of Jesus is so good that he's getting to the man's greatest need, not his greatest want. Because he knows, I could heal you physically, but you would still be crippled. Now let's go a little bit deeper here. We can be physically healed, but still stay spiritually crippled. Now, let me go a little bit deeper to help us understand what Jesus is doing here is that I think what Jesus was trying to show us is that physical healing don't fully satisfy us. We need more than that. We need spiritual healing. Why do I say that? Because think about this. He could have healed the man first. He could have just said, hey, I'm going to heal you and never touch his spirit. What would happen to that guy six months from then? Now let me go a little bit deeper. If you had a trade-off, what would you rather have? Physical healing, be fully healthy, but not have a relationship with Jesus. Because there's a lot of people who are physically healed and healthy, but they're on their way away from Jesus. So Jesus is like, man, I know what your greatest need is. Because let's be real, some people get physically healed, but they never got spiritually healed. One time Jesus healed 10 lepers, only one came back. Jesus said, what happened to the other ones? Why? Because sometimes the very thing we want will drift us away from the will of God. So listen. He's like, man, I'd rather give you something that's going to give you eternal perspective than to give you something that's just temporary. Yeah. 
That's a good word. We can be physically healed, but spiritually crippled. See, here's the thing, right? I'm going to go really deep here. Physical healing and things that we're looking for sometimes just won't satisfy our greatest longings of the soul. Because here's the thing, right? All of us think we need one more thing. And we all think we got it coming. Isn't it true? Like, if we were to be honest, every single human being right now, if we were to interview, would be like, man, I just need to make a little bit more money. And I'm telling you, if I make a little bit more money, man, we'd be, we'd be straight. We'd be good. Like, we'd be, we'd be like, just, just, just right, man. I'm telling you, if I just get this job, everything will work out. Like, if, if this relationship works out, that's it. Like, I'm going to be the happiest man alive. Like, I'm telling you, like, all I need is just one more thing. Like, if, if this thing goes through, like, if my stimulus check hits, like, I'm telling you, I'm set. I'm going to be good. Like, all I need is just one more thing. Like, if I just get that one more thing and, and then we get that thing. And we're not satisfied. Have you noticed the thing that you prayed for the most, the earnest the most, and then we check on you six months later. It's like, Yo, wait, I thought that was it. That was the thing. That was the one that was going to bring about the joy and the happiness that you've been pursuing your entire life. See, the thing is, these things are not bad themselves. But here's, what, here's the catch. I pray you catch this. This is the heart of this message. These things are great. I think you should pursue those things. All those things are great. But it's just not enough. The problem is they're just not enough. Like the house gets small and you get something bigger. Right? But then, but then a month, two months goes by, it's awesome. Honeymoon season fades. Now it's like, oh my God, this mortgage. <laughs> this grass. The upkeep. Now you're like, should we downgrade? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with the house. Nothing wrong with the car, the car, the car, man, that smell. I love that smell. Hey, I'm never going to let this thing not be cleaned. And then a year later, <laughs> Burger King rap and... Like, oh, this is the guy, this is the one. I'm telling you, this is the one. This is it. Tell you, all my dreams have come true. And then we check on you a year later. Dude, Zong, you're getting on my nerve. He's he getting on my nerve. If we just have a baby. If I'm telling you, if we just have a baby, babies bring the most joy. And then the baby comes. Now it's 3 in the morning. You can't sleep. Now you're like, dear God. I just want to sleep. All right, we just think one more thing. Our deepest longing is for one more thing. The things that, the problem is they just don't go deep enough. It's just never enough. Never, never enough. Our deeper longing for meaning, purpose, and happiness are elusive because we think it's this thing. It's that thing. Even, like I talked about church, right? You, you've just found a new church. It's exciting. They check on you six months from now. That pastor. <laughs> who does he think he is? <laughs> Telling me. Uh. 
I love the way Tim Keller puts it. Tim Keller is a pastor out of New York. He said this, right? He said, he said, many of us first start going to God, going to church because we have problems. And we're asking God to give us a little boost over the hump so we can get back to pursuing our deepest wish. The problem is that we're looking to something besides Jesus as Savior. Almost always when we first go to Jesus saying, this is my deepest wish, his response is that we need to go a little deeper. That young man, his deepest wish was to walk. Jesus is like, yeah, you could walk, but never really walk. So you got to go deeper than the shallow. Because we would think, man, just heal the man. He's like, yes, I'm trying to. I'm trying to actually truly heal him. Not partially heal him. Deeper. He wants to heal our souls. Because indirectly, here's the struggle. Indirectly, the reason why those things are not enough, because they can't save you. That's the problem. I am happily married. I love my wife, but my wife can't save me. So if I'm going to her as a savior, this marriage would fail. I have a savior. What I need is a companion. But most people don't have a savior. They're looking for a savior in a companion. So that's why we get sick and tired of each other. We're like, you're not fulfilling me. You're not making me happy. Well, that's how you know the human being who needs a savior just like you do. But if you both have the savior, then the companionship becomes amazing. There's a, they did a, an interesting research on money. I found it to be interesting. The research says, this is a secular research, not a spiritual one. It said that, they said that, how much money do you need to truly be, like, happy? And the research says that once you hit $75,000 a year, if they say $75,000 a year is what you need to, like, live a comfortable life. They said anything over $75,000 is not going to make you happy. Actually, it makes you more worried and fearful that you're going to lose it. So, the, again, the Bible says it like he says, it's not, money's not the problem. It's the love of money. It's to make money your savior. Because what is it that we're looking for? We're looking for not money. We're looking for security. So Jesus knows that. He's like, man, I need to go deeper. Because it's not, you think, I just, if I just get this job, he's like, yeah, but are you really going to think you're going to be secure? You really think you're going to be happy? Because, again, those things, think about this. If Jesus is the savior, then those things become bonuses but if Jesus is not the savior those things get in the way of you following salvation and fulfillment in life because you're thinking I just need one more thing or one more person are you tracking this is very deep some people listen here's the worst part some people get exactly what they wanted and then find themselves still empty that's probably the worst thing about life right is to get exactly what we thought we wanted and then go, man, I thought that was it. I thought this was going to be it. See, here's what we struggle with. This is why we need to rediscover Jesus. The struggle is that when the Bible talks about sin, it's deeper than just the bad things that you do. Because when we say sin, people automatically think, I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. You know, I need to, I need to, I need to. But it's like, no, that's not deep enough. Because all we talk about is the symptoms of sin. We don't talk about the root. Let me give you an example. People who struggle with addiction, 
What is really the problem? The problem is not the drugs. The problem is the root of why you crave drugs. But most of the times, all we do is treat the symptoms. We don't treat the root of the system. You can cut a tree in your backyard and think you got rid of that tree, but if you didn't go down to the roots and dig it up, guess what? That tree's coming back. Understand why he says your sins are forgiven, because he's saying, man, I want to get to the root of your paralysis. I want to get to really the root of it. Why do some people always have to be in a relationship? Because they've never understood how to be alone and like themselves. So they always need to be validated by another human being. And let me tell you something. Those are the worst kind of people that should be in a relationship. But they're the ones who want the relationship the most. Because they're hoping the relationship would cope for the defense mechanism that they created through relationships. I didn't come to play today. Here's what sin is. What Jesus is trying to say. Why he says your sins are forgiven. Sin is ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, I will decide exactly how to live my life. That's why we say, God, I just need one more thing. I'm the God of my life. I just need you to be the genie. (laughs) This is why people go to church and they're bored out of their minds because they want God to bless them with a life that God never said, that's what I want for you. Here's the thing. The honeymoon season can wear off out of this church, and you can say, I need to find another church. No matter where you go, your paralysis follows you. It goes with you. Jesus is saying, listen, that's your main problem. Your main problem is you think that you are in control of your life, and you just need me to do one more thing for you. I'm not the Lord of your life. I'm the genie of your life. Because we think... The world needs Jesus. I think church people need Jesus. Because church people have made religion a crutch as opposed to Jesus a savior. Because if that wasn't true, then why is it that we don't get excited about the things that Jesus gets excited about? I was thinking about this. If you put me in a club right now, I would be so out of place. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Like, like, you put me in a club right now, and the DJ is doing his thing. Yo, somebody say, yeah, put your hands up. I'd be like, why? Why are we doing this? It's a lot of work. It's equivalent to someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus coming here, and we say, hey, get your hands up. Why? Why? Why would I tithe if my heart is not into Jesus? But in a club, I tied at the door. Okay. I play an arm and a leg for a drink just so my mind can be out of place so I can fulfill, fulfill some type of happiness, some type of move, and I will sleep with total strangers to feel some type of validation in my life. And we're crazy. We're the crazy ones. No, he came to give us the greatest need, which is the paralysis of the soul. Because we know the truth is, those people go to bed wondering, is there more? 
just talk to someone. They're like, man, met this girl, met that girl, slept this, what's up with that? And I'm like, there's got to be more. I'm like, yeah, there is, because there's a paralysis. If you don't fix that paralysis, you will think, this is the girl. This is the job. This is the thing. See, forgiveness is our greatest need. That's why he says, let me get to your, what you're really looking for. I love the way theologian Wiersbe says it. He says, look, it says, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. That's the truth. That's why right in chapter 2, he says, let me show you what your greatest need in life is. It's to be forgiving of your spiritual paralysis so you don't find yourself limping around life thinking this next thing is going to do it. See, by forgiving him, Jesus sets himself apart from every other people on the face of the planet. He forgives sins. You will never find any spiritual authority ever say your sins are forgiven. Because to say your sins are forgiven is to say, I I am God. Only God can forgive sins. And this begins the tension, my friends, between Jesus and the religious establishment of his time. And if you stick with Mark, you'll see that this is a tension that leads all the way to the cross. What do they condemn him of? Blasphemy. He said, hey, he said he's God. Jesus is like, I don't want to just say I'm God. I want to prove it, that I'm God. This is what separates following Jesus from just going to church. Can I just be honest with you? I don't think we need more church uh, services. I think we need Jesus experiences in church. I think that's what we need. I went to watch my, my, my nephew play football yesterday. It was really funny because I heard a woman say, we've got to leave early because I need to go be tortured. <laughs> and, when she, and then she, saw, she told her friends, i got to go be tortured because my son is getting his communion and i got to go sit through that thing. <laughs> and I was, I was laughing and sad at the same time because I'm like, that's, some, that's most people's experience of the church. It's, I need to go be tortured. Jesus is like, I'm trying to heal you. I'm trying to restore you. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to empower you. So the tension begins because they say, you can't forgive sins. But you have to understand here, this is, this is, this is the gospel. This moment here with this paralyzed man is the gospel. This moment of healing the paralyzed man points forward to what Jesus wants to do in every single human being. To forgive their sins through his death and resurrection. To be healed. To take up your mat. To walk so you can have a real life. Not partial life. This is the gospel. And we know that not everybody gets both, right? This man, he forgave his sin, and he's like, let me prove to you that I'm also the one who has the authority to heal you, and he heals him. But we know in this journey that not everybody gets both at the same time. Some get healed spiritually, and then physically, that comes later. And some would not even see fully the healing physically until eternity. But even then, Jesus says, I have something for you. 
It says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made manifest in your weaknesses. He said this to Paul, the apostle, the man who wrote 85% of the Bible, who took Christianity to the rest of the world. He, God used him to heal so many people, but he prayed for God to heal something in his life, and God didn't heal it. And I don't know why God chooses to heal some people in the moment and some people later. I don't know why, but I do tell you this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made manifest in your weaknesses. And there's a point to this. Watch this. Paul said, look. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. We don't know what that was. Some people speculate that Paul had a physical illness. Some people speculate it was a mental illness. We don't know. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad. Look, Paul, Paul's perspective blows my mind. He says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, let me say something here. This is for mature believers only. Rated R. Or rated M. I don't know if you walk with the Lord long enough to be able to thank him, not just for prayers answered, but thank you for prayers unanswered. There are things in your life that God hasn't answered because it's for your own benefit. Matter of fact, I think there are some things, some people call this a thorn in the flesh. Paul called it a thorn in his flesh. He said, man, this is a thorn in my flesh, but it's the very thing that drives me to God. Sometimes God won't take something away from you because he knows, hey, the way you are, you need that because that's the thing that drives you to your knees. That's the thing that drives you to worship. That's the thing that drives you to keep coming back to me and not away from me because some people can't handle full freedom. That's a mature word because we're thinking, why doesn't God just heal? God's like, I'm trying to do something deeper that will keep you grounded for all eternity, not just temporarily. I've been in church long enough. I've seen people get healed from cancer and walk away from Jesus. I'm serious. And I believe in healing. I'm praying right now for healing. There are people at church who are battling some serious illnesses. And I believe with all my heart. I believe in healing. But also I believe that his grace is sufficient for us. His power is made manifest in our weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because why? I'm going to him for my strength. Because if not, I'll create a genie in the bottle, not a savior, who rescues me, who loves me deeper than things. One of my heroes in the faith was my aunt who passed away over 10 years ago. But she loved Jesus and she went blind, completely blind. When I was 12 years old, she lost sight. But you know what fascinates me about her was I never saw her faith waver. Because her faith was never in being fully healed. Her faith was knowing who her Savior was and her Jesus was. And if anything, 
Her faith went to a whole nother level. Why? Because saints who are in tune with Jesus know how to take adversity and turn it into worship and turn it into praise and turn it into, I'm going to go deeper in the will and the purpose of God. It doesn't frustrate them. They may be frustrated, but they don't stay there. It doesn't just linger them. They may linger for a little bit, but they don't stay there because they know his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made manifest in my weakness. I pray we're becoming mature believers who follow Jesus for who he is, not what he can do. I'm seeing a lot of people walk away from Jesus over things that are temporary, losing sight of eternity. Because I tell you right now, I know this with all my heart. My aunt is with Jesus right now, and she can see Jesus, and she's worshiping him for being faithful to her all the years that she was here on earth. So let me wrap this up. Jesus said, let me show you that the Son of Man, I love this title. This is, he handpicked this title for himself. He could have called himself the Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. That's a title. <laughs> he could have said the king, the Lord. He said son of man. Son of man, identified fully with humanity. Come to heal humanity. Come to rescue humanity. It's a prophetic word that Jesus was not just this mere teacher or this little moral teacher. No, he was God, prophesied to come and bring healing to the world. Let me end by showing you the prophetic word from the book of Daniel. Daniel, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. God gave him a picture of Jesus coming as the son of man. Watch this. This is, hundreds, this is prophetic words. It's what separates Jesus from Muhammad, from every other religious figure that you could come across. Look. Look what he says. This. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, which is God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That's Jesus. One of the things I believe we need to do as we rediscover Jesus is to understand why he used son of man. There's a, there's a re, Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. In their time, I told you this, they were expecting a political Messiah. Jesus wanted to use a title that has nothing to do with politics. So no one can attach him to a political system. Because that pigeonholes Jesus to a certain group of people. But he's for all race, all nation, and all languages. So my friends, if we're going to untangle Jesus from the mess of religion, we have to understand he's the son of man, which means he comes from all people. Empires will crumble, but his kingdom will remain forever. As we end today, I invite you to stand so we can pray. Let me tell you a burden that I'm feeling. I'm feeling a burden that we're not going deep enough, that we're just on the surface. I feel the burden that we think that we come to church, that's good enough. I did it. And then we rush out of church to go back to living a less than life that Jesus intended. I'm feeling this burden as a pastor, to be honest with you. 
I feel like we're, we're, we're preparing a table, we get you to this place, and then we're like, okay, peace, I got to go because I got more meaningless things to do. And that to me is a problem because we're not going deep enough to know him as Lord and Savior, as the one that can really satisfy the longings of our soul. That sometimes we're just, we're just shooting up quick prayers because we want a genie, we don't want a Savior. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned that COVID revealed that we're not as deep as we think we are. And that we're making excuses instead of making moves to dug through roofs to say, God, I'm not leaving until you bless me. So I asked the worship team to do a song, not as a dismissal song, but I hopefully it's an invitation song to say I need to go deeper. And when the song is over, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and we're going to pray. But I hope that you can take a step of faith today because they didn't stay where they were. They dug through to get to Jesus. And I think once in a while we need to break out of our spiritual routine if we're going to see Jesus. Because I've said this over and over again. I'll say it again. Our greatest obstacle to Jesus is familiarity. It's not the devil. If we're familiar, the devil doesn't have to do anything. He just says, keep doing what you're doing. So that's my burden. That's what I'm feeling as a pastor. It's like, man, we're not going deep enough. We're not seeing the paralysis in us that, man, we're not going to be satisfied. Our marriages are not going to be great if Jesus is not the center first of our lives. We're not going to enjoy the money that we're making if Jesus is not the center of our lives. We're not going to enjoy the house we're praying for if Jesus is not the center of our lives. We're not going to enjoy the kids, the 2.5 kids that we all want if Jesus is not the center first. Because everything flows out of that. All of it. So whatever you're praying for, you're not praying deep enough. You need Jesus first. Then whatever comes will flow out of that. So as we sing the song, I really encourage you to linger a little bit. It's those who linger who get the most out of this thing. Because he loves to bless those who come after him, not just check a box that they did it. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.